breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome in to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we hear about the state of the cattle industry from National Cattlemen's Beef Association President-elect Don Schiefelbein, and we talk marketing strategies for ag manufacturers with Fast Line Fast Track's newest contributor, Chrissy Wozniak. Also, FFA Week is coming up this week, and we hear more about what it'll look like this year. And a date has been set for Tom Vilsack's confirmation vote to reprise his role as U.S. Ag Secretary. Jesse Allen is along with another Market Talk update, and the hot rod farmer Ray Bohax has another installment of Bushels and Scents. And his guitar drips country. We hear the music of traditional country music star Richard Lynch. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, there have been many developments in the cattle market since the outset of the pandemic, so today we wanted to bring in Don Schiefelbein, the president-elect of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, to help us address some of those developments and help us understand his organization's key priorities for 2021. Don, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, Brent, I'm happy to be here. Well, Don was just named president-elect, and Jerry Bone, a Kansas farmer and a cattle feeder, was just named president of the NCBA. So if you get some time, go check out the latest episode of Cattlemen to Cattle produced by the NCBA and learn about uh, Jerry's background and about the impressive operations of the Pratt feeders there in central Kansas and also about Don's background and his operation out of uh, Kimball, Minnesota. We saw just a little bit there in that clip in the in the intro. And uh, how are things going there in uh, uh, frigid Minnesota these days? Well, you said it well. Describing Minnesota as frigid probably is the most accurate <laughs> description you could do. It's cold, but uh, we're in the midst of calving. And as you know, Brent, we're a family operation, so it's all hands on deck as we go out there and do round-the-clock calving. And you were telling me you just pulled a couple right before you came in here. Yeah, we brought them right into the barn. I pulled them into the barn. We didn't have to pull them out of the cow, but uh, we let them calve outside. And then we bring them into a barn to warm them up. So uh, just got that done right before I sat down in the chair here. And that's dedication. We sure do appreciate that. Well, I tell you what, this past year or so has been really interesting for anybody involved in the cattle industry. The pandemic has challenged the supply chain and uh, produced some tense moments and some head-scratching moments for uh, folks, and many of whom have been uh, feeling a great deal of pressure for years. It's also brought about the important work done by cattlemen and those in that supply chain. It, you know, now they're in the American consciousness. A lot of a lot of times, people didn't consider uh, where their food was coming from. They thought it magically got there, but now once uh, you know, they saw even a temporary hiccup in the supply chain and uh, uh, stocks starting to diminish. Uh, people started to realize, man, you, you know, uh, uh, this stuff doesn't get here magically, does it? Yeah, it's amazing how important food becomes when there isn't enough for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, the first issue I, I want to hit head on today is the disparity uh, between producers, what they're being paid for for the cattle they send to market, and also the record profit be being being uh, taken in by the the largest meat packers. 
You know, as consumers, we paid more for beef from the outset of the pandemic and packers continue to make a record net income. But in a lot of instances, uh, those raising the cattle are saying, hey, that, that windfall is not trickling down to us. You know, first of all, why do you guys think that is? And what does the NCBA think uh, should be done about it? Well, you know, right now it's all about leverage, right? When you have a few people having so much power, it's it's hard to compete when there's a multitude of people trying to compete with three or four large major packers. And when the volume switches where they're kind of carrying the stick, if you will, where there's enough volume to pick and choose, when they got the bat, they can use it pretty effectively when there's just four of them. And I think uh, as we came through the pandemic, it was a perfect storm with not only were they carrying the stick at the time, but all of a sudden overnight, we had a drop of 50% of the harvest capacity. What gave them a big stick turned into just giving them a monster stick. And the result was, like you mentioned, just record profits. Yeah. Well, price discovery and transparency have become key buzzwords. And I know the USDA under former Secretary Sonny Perdue uh, began to look into the issue and promised to dig deeper, you know, at the urging of NCBA and some of the other groups like the uh, Farm Bureau and also the uh, uh, National Farmers Union. And, and now we've had some reshuffling at USDA. And uh, at the moment, we don't have a confirmed ag secretary. So once this dust settles, uh, do you believe the matter is going to receive adequate attention at that level from the USDA? And uh, do, do you think it'll eventually bring about some meaningful change? You know, if, if you look at uh, Tom Vilsack's hearing going in for the Secretary of Ag, I think it's going to be front and center. He was asked some pretty piercing questions regarding making sure that there's an equitable uh, distribution of funds going back to the cow-calf guy. And I think they're going to be pushed pretty hard to continue the investigations. And all we really want, Brent, is a fair playing field, right? Yeah. We, we know that if we get our fair share, gosh, U.S. beef is in demand and people want it. And boy, we are at record beef demands right now. We just need our share of it. Right, Brent? Well, uh, you bring up a good point here because that was one of the things I wanted to hit on. That beef demand continues to increase here on the home front. Uh, how is the NCBA working to capitalize that, especially at a time when more Americans are continuing to cook at home? Yeah, you know, we've we've had to do a kind of a shift right in the middle. When it shifted to basically going from restaurants to home cooking, we had to do an abrupt shift midstream this year. And I tell you what, hats off to the beef checkoff and what they're able to do as far as being nimble because they went from a promotion plan that was equally split 50-50 to pouring in the resources. How can we make food really easy to cook at home? And how can we make sure beef's a key component of that cooking ingredient at home? Well, what else has the cattle industry learned through this pandemic that, that will help us be stronger on the other side, but, but also be prepared in case we see anything, God forbid, like this uh, on down the road? Well, you know, we put together a task force just because we figured out real quick that, uh, boy, when this market gets off kilter at all, when that stick, as we mentioned before, gets handed over to the packer, there's got to be some stop gaps put in place to protect the producer. And that's what we're working on right now. As, as you're well aware, we have a working group that's looking at price discovery and making sure packer participation is, is as full as it can be. And uh, as you know, from all parts of the country, there's very diverse viewpoints on what the solution might look like, right? So, you know, we, we had a meeting here in Denver here earlier in the fall and 
boy, it took us seven, eight hours just to get to a consensus that we need to do something. So at least we're heading in the right direction, Brent. Well, we know trade became a big focus of the last administration. We continue to wait and see where it falls among the priorities for the Biden administration. But a big focus of the NCBA is the removal of non-tariff beef barriers to increase worldwide markets for U.S. beef. Because as I've heard economists discuss lately, there continues to be a growing demand for beef in emerging world markets. And, and that's exactly right. We know that U.S. born and raised beef is the best beef in the world. And if it competes fairly across the world, people want more U.S. beef. And so all we want to do, again, have a level playing field, let people get exposure to our product, let our product prove to those export consumers how good it is, and we believe we'll reap the benefits. Well, it seems like every year we see more and more entrants into the marketplace uh, that, that want to challenge beef by positioning themselves as a beef alternative. And, and truth and labeling is another key priority for the NCBA. You know, the organization has said it will work hard to ensure that all alternative plant-based or so grown protein products are labeled truthfully and their ingredients are fully represented. And I know a couple of days ago I saw a news report that was done on the world's first 3D printed ribeye steak, which was created by an Israeli farm and an Israeli biomedical engineering firm using incubated cattle tissue cells. And the co-founder and CEO of that company said he expects to have it scaled to market by 2027. Uh, as a rancher yourself, does it chill you to see reports like that? Well, you know, this world is changing dramatically and we're going to see evolutions of what people are going to try to do. In the end, the consumer rules the day with what his palate says is best. Mm -hmm. And that's where if you look at all these alternative meat products, they sure may look, have a nice picture to them and may even have even a sizzle put to them. But the ultimate test is what does it taste like when you put it in your mouth? And to this point, Brent, they failed and they failed miserably. And I think we saw even this last week, I'm sure you saw the report as well, that the fake meat group has basically had to reduce the cost of their product substantially because at the premium prices they were thought they could get for it, it was not moving off the shelves at all. So we believe that our product stands by the taste, flavor, consistency, and the way we grow it here in an environmentally safe way that we believe if you have to label all the ingredients and you have to tell the consumer what truly the product is they're consuming, we'll win that battle over the long haul. Well, one thing that stood out to me in that report was the use of the phrase cruelty-free cutlet, which implied that inherently there's cruelty and that's the norm, you know, in ranching from, from the uh, ranch to the table process. And that's simply not true. And I know that's something that NCBA has been working hard to try to educate consumers on for, for quite some time. And, and that is one of the biggest challenges, as you know, as, as the population has moved away from the farms and we're now at greater than 50% of all people or three generations are more removed from a farm, that loses, you know, then they are just basically what they hear about farmers, right? They've never seen it with their own eyes. So that really pulls apart the point that we have to engage with these guys and we better tell our story because if we don't tell it, somebody else is filling that void to those consumers and a story that simply is not true. So like you said, the assumption is that maybe cruelty is the norm, but as you know, traveling around this world, and as I just illustrated uh, just moments ago, pulling those calves out of the cold, there ain't too much things we won't do to save an animal and do the right thing and making sure they're comfortable. 
Mm-hmm. And along those lines, you, you know, I've heard many times that uh, ranchers and, and kennel farmers are some of the uh, uh, original, uh, uh, you know, naturalists, sustainability experts. And uh, we well know that a key priority of the Biden administration is one that the NCBA wants to be a leader on. And that's climate change and sustainability. Of course, ranchers have aimed to do that through various advanced technologies and genetics and grazing practices. What does it mean by today's standards to have a sustainable herd? And how are NCBA members leading the way to model sustainable beef production for the rest of the world? Well, that's where the good news is, Brent. I mean, that's the that's the positive, positive thing about where we're going. If we just look at what we've done and where we're going, we are on track to do exactly what everybody doesn't realize we're already doing, right? And that is we're caring for this environment, we're caring for our animals, we're, we're is it focused on sustainability today as we've ever been? And I think it comes natural, you called it the original, we call it the original environmentalist, right? Because we cared about this land before anybody really even knew ranchers were out here in the cities, right? And we cared about it deeply. So we think uh, the key for us is to flip this script Make sure people understand that we engage on this subject and that we're part of the solution. We aren't part of the problem. When we get done with them, we're hoping that the result will be that they want more cows, more ranchers, because we are what success looks like in an environmental, sustainable society. Well, you're doing grazing without deforestation and 90% of what, what that cattle eats isn't uh, consumable by by. Uh, humans and uh, right. you're turning that into protein also uh you know we, we've heard rumblings about uh, carbon storage over the past few months but i guarantee it's going to be a full throat roar uh in the near future as it becomes a hot button issue in in many forms of agriculture and that's a positive story too brent when you look at uh, the carbon story because you know we're a little different than a lot of the sources because basically the carbon source we put out there is methane and that's a recyclable gas up there in the environment so really we're we're the winner in that atmosphere in that uh, description as well so we feel pretty good about where we're going we need to basically just communicate more effectively and make sure they understand the values we have behind the product As we wade into 2021 now, here, what are some of the other key priorities uh, on your plate here in terms of leadership with the NCBA? Well, you know, there's a lot of regulatory things that you haven't mentioned that are still front and center and very important. They probably aren't as big from a oversized standpoint, but they impact people dramatically. And those are things like Simple things like what are we going to do with the wolves, right? And, of course, that's a big issue here in Minnesota, the gray wolf issue, delisting it. You know, we have to make sure that they understand the why and the recent rationale for why we did that and make sure that continues to be the the law of the land because that makes good sense. They aren't endangered anymore. We want to make sure they stay delisted. And to me, the impact that can have on the cattle industry uh, an individual is huge. So those, some of those regulatory issues, waters of the U.S. and them re-looking at that, I mean, you know there are some people licking their chops just waiting to try and get another bite at that apple, right? Yeah. But the good thing, I think, along that, Brent, is that you can rest assured the longer and harder it was for us to convert a regulatory issue backwards the harder it is for them to flip it the other way, right? And you know the battle it took for us for waters of the U.S. and the navigable waters. Yeah. 
So uh, we talked about uh, profitability for, for farmers and ranchers earlier. Uh, what are some of the other things that the, uh, the, that the industry needs to do and, and each individual rancher and farmer needs to do to stay viable and, and stay profitable here in 2021? Well, you know, constant improvement's the name of the game, right? And and that's what farming and ranchers have been so good at it, is if you look at what we've been able to do over the last 30, 30 years, is we've been the king of getting more for less, right? And and, and that that's still becomes the name of the game. If your focus is on how can I create more for less, you're going to be a successful producer whether it's cattle, crops, or whatever. And I, but to me, that's what needs to rule the day. And if you look at environmental standards, the old more for less is the recipe for success as well. So I think uh, keep on doing what we've been doing, become the world's greatest producers of agricultural products and good things will happen. Well, how has technology changed that uh, even during your time as a farmer? Oh, just unbelievable. I mean, my, my dad has a statement that I just love. And he, somebody asked him, they said, Frank, you know, you got this multi-generation, my dad's name's Frank. You have this multi-generation farm, right? With all these sons and all these grandsons and et cetera. There's 80 of us in all, okay? They said, if you were to summarize, what's the key to your success? His response to me is one that everybody should learn from. His response was, the key to our success is my boys are not raising the cattle like I used to. And what that means is they've embraced the change, right? They've embraced the technology. And if you look at what we're doing from raising crops to what he was doing just a mere 30 years ago, and what we're doing with precision planting, then you go into the cattle side and look at what we're able to do from a genetic standpoint with DNA and genomics and uh, in vitro fertilization, Brent. You know, there's a reason U.S. animal agriculture and agriculture in general is leading this curve by a long ways because this group embraces change more than any, any association across the United States. Well, when you talk about the association, it's, it's been a rough year for, for a lot of associations and pretty much all of us uh, across the country when it, when it comes to staying connected and, and networking and, and sharing best practices uh, how have you been able to keep up uh, with that? And, and how have uh, members of the NCBA been able to keep up with that over the past year? Because I know that's so important. It is, you know, and every now and then you always have to look at what is the silver lining of what was dealt you, right? So we were dealt a pretty severe blow in this whole pandemic deal. But what we did learn is, boy, we can communicate in lots of different ways that many never dreamed. If you ever would have guessed that my 88-year-old father would be on a Zoom meeting learning new technologies, I would have never guessed it till this pandemic occurred, right? And so it forced change onto people in a manner they never expected. And I think this ability to reach people that we never thought we could reach before, now, if you can get the internet, we can put a program together and you're living proof of it, right? We, yeah. can, we can spew this program to all four corners of the world, right? And boy, doesn't that make the world a much better place? Absolutely. And I tell you what, for those who are interested in staying plugged into what's going on in the cattle industry outside of Fast Line Fast Track, the NCBA produces an hour-long show, Cattlemen to Cattlemen, that airs Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on RFD-TV. 
so go and watch our music live streams from seven to eight here. Then turn your TV on to RFD TV and catch Cattlemen to Cattlemen. If you miss it, the episodes are also archived at ncba.org and also on YouTube. And uh, we want to make mention of the fact that the NCBA convention and trade show, which would be held uh, right around now, has been moved to August 10th through 12th in a city we're quite partial to in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the NCBA will hold a two-day virtual winter reboot as well. Uh, if you can't wait till August, yeah, you can do some of that connecting and networking. That is going to be, again, the 23rd and 24th of this month. And it'll feature educational programming as well as a Washington, D.C. issues update, a cattle facts outlook session, tech tools preview and a sneak peek at the 2021 Cattlemen's College. Uh, so, again, go check those out at NCBA.org. And who should be checking in uh, to the Cattlemen's College? Tell us a bit about what, what goes on there and, and why that's an important uh, component of what you guys do. Boy, again, if you're interested in continuous improvement, there is none better than that Cattlemen's College. And it has uh, subject matters that span everybody's interests, whether you're a crop guy in terms of wanting to make your grasses better, or you're trying to get the most elite genetics and what I can learn from genomics, et cetera. There, if you got an interest in getting better in any area, the topic will be covered at Cattlemen's to co College. Well, go check out all of those connection opportunities here because that's, uh, I would have to say, one, one of the most important and probably most off overlooked uh, aspects of all this is continuing education. I agreed. Agreed. Well, I tell you what, Don, I sure appreciate you taking the time to uh, check in and join us here today on Fast Line Fast Track. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck with everything going on here. And uh, we'll welcome you to come back anytime uh, you want to share what's going on in the industry. And we'll definitely check in with the NCBA from time to time here as uh, things continue to shake out a lot on everybody's plate right now. Well, thank you, Brent, for the opportunity. And thanks for all you do for our industry and putting this good information out to the world. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and it's set aside as a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. Christy Meyer is the communications manager for the National FFA organization. She says the week is an opportunity to spread the word about the benefits of FFA. National FFA Week is an opportunity for our members across the country to really share with their schools and their communities what FFA does and what agriculture education is. It's an opportunity for them to introduce it to people who might not be familiar with it. And then it's an opportunity for them to also celebrate it and celebrate all the supporters as well. Each FFA chapter does different activities to help celebrate FFA Week. The national organization encourages different themes during each day of the week. On that 
Tuesday, February 23rd, we encourage them to celebrate alumni. So that's Alumni Day. On Thursday, February 25th is Give FFA Day. So we talk a little bit about how you can give back, not only to your local chapter, but your state chapter and national chapter. So it's a 24-hour fundraiser, if you will, of how we can give back and continue the work of agriculture education. And then on Friday, we do Wear Blue Day. So we encourage everybody to wear their FFA blue and really post it on social media and actually throughout the week, any events that they do, share it with hashtag FFA week. So we have a lot of chapters who work in their communities and might have pancake breakfasts, service events, things to really bring awareness to FFA week and FFA. One of the biggest goals of FFA week is to answer the public's questions about the organization. So a lot of people don't know exactly what FFA is, especially if they're not from a community that might have a lot of chapters. So they'll ask what that means, what that is. And it's an opportunity for our students to really talk about agriculture and what a big role agriculture plays in all of our lives and the fact that it touches everything that we do. It's really an opportunity for them to share with the community how important agriculture is in everyday life. And then the other question we usually get is, is this something that you just do after school or how does it work? So the students are able to talk about their agriculture education classes and then the leadership component that they learn in FFA. Meyer says there are still people who don't realize students don't have to live on a farm to be involved in FFA. No, they don't. You know, it's really great. We've seen our membership continue to rise. I believe we're at over 760,000 members right now and we have chapters in some of the largest cities. So it's really something that's not just in rural anymore, but it's in rural, suburban and urban. And what we're finding is students are really interested in agriculture and all the different careers that are offered, right? And so they're able to take that and really apply it to what they want to do in future careers. And I also think that there's a strong interest of where our food comes from. And so that has really spiked a lot of interest in FFA as well. For more information on FFA and National FFA Week, go to ffa.org. And one other bit of news of note this week that we've been following, the Senate will vote to confirm Tom Vilsack as Agriculture Secretary next week. The exact time is uncertain, but the Senate calendar has the vote planned for Tuesday, February 23rd. The Senate will debate the nomination for 20 minutes before voting with the majority and minority parties receiving equal time. Expect smooth sailing for Vilsack, who breezed through the Senate Agriculture Committee nomination hearing earlier this month. If confirmed next week, Vilsack will rejoin the Department of Agriculture just a few days over a month since the Biden administration took over the White House. During his confirmation hearing, Vilsack stated the world and nation are different from his previous stint leading USDA. Vilsack says, quote, Today the pandemic, racial justice and equity, and climate change must be our priorities, end quote. If confirmed, Vilsack will return to USDA after serving as Agriculture Secretary during the Obama administration and most recently as President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. World Ag Expo Online is not just one week. We'll be here all year long with new information, seminars, links to exhibitors, and more. Mark your calendar to make sure you visit the show website every month. Want to get monthly reminders of updated news and information? Go to worldagexpo.org to sign up for the email newsletter. More than 600 online exhibitors coming from 48 states and 65 countries. Attendance is free for the online show throughout 2021. Just go to worldagexpo.org. Our next guest this week on Fast Line Fast Track is an ag consultant, podcast host, and the newest contributor to Fast Line Fast Track. We wanted to bring her on today to talk about how ag manufacturers are weathering the pandemic and offer some tips on how they can come out stronger on the other side of this historic period. Chrissy Wozniak, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track. Hey Brent, thanks so much for having me. 
Hey, thank you so much for taking the time with us. I tell you what, before we get into today's topic, I wanted to spend just a few minutes letting our audience get to know you a bit better. If you could just tell us a bit about where you're from and uh, what your background in agriculture looks like. All right. So I'm Canadian, married to an American, and I live a couple miles from the border. Uh, normally, I'm 25 minutes from the Buffalo airport. So really kind of use both sides of the border or used to now it's a little bit harder with the border closure but but we're uh we're figuring that out but uh, i was one of those kids that always wanted to be in farming i wanted to be a farmer so bad my uncle had a farm when i was i don't know five six seven years old i used to hang out there and that's that's where i wanted to be so um, the funny thing is you can't really tell a kid that's impossible. <laughs> you have to be born into it or you need to marry into it. Um, so anyway, I just, I just followed that dream. I went to school for agriculture, graduated, and then I just started my life in agribusiness. 20 years later, I've been in agribusiness the whole time and I love it. And I just, I live to serve the industry. Uh, what was it that, uh, that that brought that pull from actually uh, farming to getting into agribusiness and, and serving the industry in other ways? I guess it was just following opportunities. I guess, mm -hmm. yeah. I uh, I've always had a, a you know a, a good love of business, and I'm a huge geek. I love reading about business. Like I just read and read and read and I've always read as much as I can about business. And I really gravitated to the business classes in, in college as well. So it, uh, it was just kind of a natural step and, you know, you just, you know, take a job and you like it and then you move up and move up. And I became the sales manager for a, an agriculture building manufacturer. And I, um, so I was able to cover North America and, and that, that's really where I kind of honed um, what works, what doesn't, how to, how to grow a business, how to write, um, things that work and things that don't work and manage distributors. And, and, you know, I just had a blast. So it was, I think three years ago now that I decided, you know, I, I can do this for one company or else I can help a whole bunch of companies. So why not? Uh -huh. So made a giant leap and never forget that day driving home from my really good job. And I'm just like white knuckling it on the steering wheel going, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I, I haven't looked back. It's, it's been really fun. So, and I'm lucky I've been able to spend oh, a decade traveling farm show to farm show. Any of my friends on the farm show circuits know that I call them all carnies and myself a carny. We just, you know, one time I was doing 29 trade shows a year, agriculture trade shows a year. So just show to show and you, you know, really, really learn to love the people. Right. Yeah. 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 And we'll get into kind of talking about that because that kind of tees in uh, to uh, uh, what we want to discuss here in a little bit. Tell me a bit about the types of ag businesses that you're working with now and some of the services that you offer. Yeah. So I, my heart's in manufacturing. That's, I really love working with manufacturers. I get it. Um, I know, I know that pain. I know the pain of being a salesperson. I know the pain of getting things out the door. I know the pains of, of um, working with engineers. And so, you know, I really can feel for those people. Right. And there's, you know, I really focus on marketing a lot, but your whole company is, you know, a lot of moving parts and you can't just focus on one area. So I usually start with sales and marketing, but it always goes, you know, always branches out as well. And then in the end, you try to make sure that the whole company from, 
marketing to shipping and beyond, it, you can usually you're usually able to touch all of those places and make it better. When all of this has led you to start a great new podcast, North American Ag Spotlight, in which you interview a bunch of uh, uh, newsmakers and, and folks in the in, in the industry, I should say, agriculture industry experts. And uh, you discuss some of the uh, hot button issues of the day here, and uh, you found a nice little niche there. Yeah, and I guess that was kind of accidental. Uh, in March last year, like everybody else, well, I was kind of living a country song. Second week of March, my dog died, my horse died, and my wedding was going to be canceled. So it was like, I don't get a wedding, and you know, I seriously could have written a country song. Um, and then my business, right? I I traveled to trade shows. That's how I. That's how I did business. Sure. So everything was done. My whole life completely was like, what am I going to do? And um, so, you know, what can you do? You either lay down and cry or else you figure out how to handle it. Right. So uh, there's a, there's a really good book that, that I read again during those couple of weeks, just called, you know, hand, handling tough times in your business. And what he just kept saying is you take your network and you do something for them. You serve mm -hmm. them. Take, you know, even in tough times, you might not be able to sell, but what, what positive impact can you make during those times? So that's all I could think of. So I remember I was putting in my garden last year and I had this, I had my paddock scraped out. So I had a giant pile of manure that had been rotting there for a couple of years. So I just like thought and ran manure into my garden for days while I'm just trying to think, what can I do? How can I do something for our people? I'm getting calls from, you know, other carnies, right? That travel with me go, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to talk? How are we going to talk to producers? What are, What's going to happen? And so that's really where the idea for all of North American Egg started. And it started out as, as one event. Um, and, it was a uh, was six roundtable panels, and what I did is I just asked, okay, what are the most important issues in agriculture? So we came up with six, and that was you know phone calls, Twitter polls, Facebook, and we came up with six. And then once we had the topics, I found a moderator for each one, and then I filled all the panels, and it just went over like crazy. It was amazing. It was just one of the happiest you know weeks of my life being able to just put you know, to see what came of that and meeting all of these people. And I, cause I had thought I can't network anymore. I can't have our, you know, our people, but you can, right. That was what I learned is that you can, you just have to get out of your comfort zone more. Right. So, um, during all of that, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, Tim Ottenbacher. I don't know if he'll probably see this, but, um, so he gave, he'd said to me on the phone one day, you know, what we really need, we need, you know, when you're in a trade show booth all day and you're answering those same 10 questions over and over and over again and how tired of it you get. And I said, yeah. And he said, we need that back. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so anybody that's done trade shows knows that, you know, by the third day, you don't want to answer those questions. You just want to pre press play and, and have something answer for you. But, um, but I said, Tim, I can do that. That that's something for sure I can do. So that's how Egg Spotlight started. Is that I'm like, yeah, I can interview you, and you know, well, I'll ask you questions, and I'm always curious, so that's pretty easy for me. And I know tech. We have, you know, um, a, a lot of what I do is tech, right? So able to build all this stuff ourselves, and 
And uh, yeah, just started kind of hit the ground running. And I'm just amazed at at the response. Like it's only been since September, I think. So yeah, so it's been it's been quite quite an adventure from my country song back a year ago. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to get into talking about here, where we talk about uh, missing out on those opportunities to get in front of those trade shows, which is something we did a lot of here too. And, you know, everybody's had to pivot and, and find other ways of, of making things happen because this business doesn't grind to a halt. You, you've got to keep going. And, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later on here, the the ones that uh, find creative ways to do that are the ones that are going to prosper through this. But, it, you know, one of the most important issues of the day is the coronavirus pandemic. And, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up on the first anniversary here in the U.S. And, and this is an industry that hasn't been spared, you know, and that includes agricultural manufacturers. You know, they've faced myriad challenges over the past year. And one of the most uh, pressing being employment, you know, people being off due to symptoms, uh, you know, capacity regulations and also uh, slower lead times. And uh, that's something some have been able to overcome better than others. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And and those, you know, whether it's closures, whether it's sickness, whether it's I feel like I'm sick now, I need two weeks off. That's been catastrophic in manufacturing and um, and you know, they, it, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine um, from ag direct yesterday and, and he was really saying it's, you know, the, I guess the good part is that it's take really taken care of the lease returns. Right. Yeah. So, so we've, they're able the dealerships have been able to get rid of a lot of used equipment. Um, and, and the one thing that, that's happening that I'm hearing from pretty much everyone is that lead times are long lead times, you know, that you can't get equipment. Farmers can't get equipment. Uh, I know my friend said, if you didn't order in, in November, December, you're, you're not going to see equipment for a long time. And, uh, and that's what I'm seeing too, that, that it's, it's taken a long time. Um, but I'm also seeing that there's a danger here because I think manufacturers, because they're struggling to keep up that they have a false sense of security. And, you know, a lot of them have paused and haven't pivoted yet. And I think that that could lead, like it could lead to, um, to, you know, kind of a breakdown in a little bit in the future. So what I'm trying to say is you got to get on it now. You can't just wait for, you know, to catch up. You've got to get out there now. Um, and, and you can't just go, a lot of them are just, oh, we'll just wait this out. We'll wait out the year. Well, you got to start doing things now because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in a year, right? You, if you are silly enough to turn on the news, you get 10 conflicting opinions. And if you don't take it into your own hands and figure it out, then you you just don't wait for the world, right? So I, I would just caution the manufacturers to don't, don't be happy in that sense of security that, that you know, just because there's a pull right now doesn't mean it's going to stay like that. Yeah. Right. Well, it, and it, it's an interesting time because not only do you not have shows, which would uh, be plentiful this time of year, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, dealers and wholesalers don't want you knocking on their door right now. Uh, so folks are having to find some creative ways to get in, in front of, uh, sellers, what 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 are some strategies that you see that that are working, or or that things should be considering if they've got to uh, go a different direction than they're used to? Yeah, that's it. Well, every manufacturer has 
manufacturers reps who represent territories. And there are so many distributors that don't want them coming around, right? Yeah. So that means that there are a lot of reps sitting there just kind of panicking, right? And it, and it's not their company, so they can't even make the decisions. Um, but there's an interesting thing. Um, it's kind of like a, a largely unnoticed sales economy that isn't happening right now, but it is an opportunity for producers if they understand this. And um, so in, you know, 10 years of trade shows, I've probably been to a thousand dinners, right? That means 10,000 sales reps, right? I know it probably sounds horrifying to a lot of people, but um, the, the trade shows, one benefit of it is that you have all of these reps around these tables and a good salesperson wants to help their farmers under their care. And it doesn't matter if it's their product or what, you know, I, I've sat, I can't even tell you how many times where there's a conversation between reps and one says, you know, my, my, you know, this guy from this farm, he really needs a bagger or a seed drill or whatever, or a mixer. And somebody else at the table, he doesn't even know, will say, oh, well, I know this person who does this and does that. And then they go off for 45 minutes and figure out a solution for that farmer. And neither one of them benefits from it. Yeah. Right. There's no monetary gain there. But I'll tell you that happens. That's that's like this underground economy that isn't happening right now. So what my advice, I think, to farmers is, is that your manufacturer's rep knows a lot of people. So you should call them when you're looking for something. Um, they have a huge tap into all of these people that and they're just waiting to get on the phone. Right. That's what they do. That's what they want to talk to you. So, you know, if you can kind of think of it a little bit backwards, like, you know, if I have one rep that I know, they probably know 100 reps and together they'll be happy to solve a problem for you. So I think for for reps as well, the manufacturers reps, they should be, you know, touching base and saying, if there's anything you need, if there's anything you need, I can help you. Right. And it doesn't mean if you even if you're not buying my product, because I'll tell you, most of the the people in our industry want to help each other. Right. There's always the bad egg. But I would say the majority want to help each other. Yeah. And some of the companies that are being hardest hit are some of the newer manufacturers or the smaller manufacturers. What uh, kind of strategies can they employ when they don't have some of that networking under their belt and they haven't built uh, you, you know, just this large web of, of folks that they can reach out to for things like that. Yeah, that's it. That and that's a big problem with the with people that are just trying to gain market share. They they really, um, well they they have to they have to go to digital. Every company needs to go digital, right? That's all there is to it. And I always say like, there's five fingers of digital, and you have to do all of them. You can't just pick. I'm just going to go on Twitter. I'm just going to go on Instagram. I'm just going to do YouTube. No, you have to ha have to have a strategy for all of them, yeah. you know, and you have to do a good job of all of them. So if you don't have a content creator, you need to get one and you need somebody who's good, who can write, who can do graphics, right? They're out there and, and you need to, you need to position yourself as uh, an advisor in the field, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't, you know, yeah, corporate videos are great, but we need to educate and you need to do a good job of serving the industry. And when you do that, that's when you're going to you're going to be able to grow um, because you become an, an advisor. And um, 
yeah and you know you you really have to condense your message into short bite-sized pieces too right yeah. don't just throw up everything you know about your product onto everyone um i know i've heard so many companies say well we we do a, a monthly blog mm. who's really going to your blog right yeah. yeah 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 that's great for seo but how are you reaching right how are you and nobody's going to sit there and read unless it's you know really good content they're not going to sit there and and read it right yeah um so yeah so i would say you need to have a good strategy and everybody asks me what should i be spending yeah. on on market marketing outreach and the rule of thumb is if you want to maintain market share spend five percent of your revenue and if you want to grow 12 percent of your revenue yeah Without getting terribly granular, what, what what are you seeing in terms of you, you bring up blogs and, and, and different forms of content? Uh, what, what are you seeing in terms of a breakdown, uh, just ballpark percentage, you know, video content to to blog type content or, or smaller pieces of, of print type content, um, you know, within a website? Well, you you need. You have to do video, you absolutely have to do video. Uh, and then your social media feeds the video, yeah. right? So that's kind of the way it should go. Um, we did we did a, a bit of digging around in the summertime, and I just wrote some numbers down from here. Um, so so there's really there's a big problem here because producers don't want to sit in webinars. They don't want to sit in virtual trade shows, not all not not all of them, right? But there is, I've found in the data that you have to be more creative than that, yeah. right? So you need the webinars for the right people, right? But you also have to have these bite-sized pieces. So what we learned in doing some of these polls is 61.3% of producers say that they hate unplanned farm visits, huh. which is funny, right? Um, because everybody wants to see everybody now, right? But this is during COVID that, that I took this. 23.7% um, say they hate phone calls the most. 7.5% say they hate email and 7.5% say they hate social media, like reaching out. So what do we know from that? Okay, definitely do not show up unexpected <laughs> to a farm, right? You shouldn't anyway. Um, but, you know, social media and email are okay, right? So that's what we can learn is that we have to be where, where the customer is. And we have to do it on term on their terms, not our terms, right? Oh, I have this really nice whatever, you know. That's what I'm going to do. No, you got to figure out what they need, right? And um, another thing that we said, um, or that we had asked, or are you attending virtual shows this year? Sixty-seven point nine said, "No way will I be attending a virtual farm show." Twenty-four percent said, "Maybe," and seven point five percent said, "Yes, we will." Right. The funny thing is, is that when we held our roundtable, we had so many producers, but we didn't. I think that one problem with virtual farm shows is they're saying, come on, let's walk through the halls of our virtual farm show on a computer. Well, that sounds dumb. <laughs> you have to position it as the value that they're going to get. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's where companies sometimes get lost in. Oh, this is so cool. Well, yeah. is it something that adds value? We bring up a good point, though, uh, and you work a lot with manufacturers because they can't get to these shows and and, and do it. What what kind of strategies 
are, are they opting for, you know, because I, I've heard that from a lot of manufacturers. Okay. Well, if we got to create, spend the money to create the content, you know, mm -hmm. the, then where do we put it to, to get the biggest bang for our buck? You, you know, whether it's their own platform or whether it's these virtual shows or, or, or something else. And I, I know it's not a one size fits all approach, but it, it just seems like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of got caught not knowing what to do and, and, and they're just really trying to figure it out on the fly. And uh, uh, that, that uh, could, could be a recipe for disaster. Yes, for sure. And and that's one actually uh, one question that we asked was, how would you as a farmer or producer choose to learn about new products on the market? Because I know everyone wants to know about the new products, but. Yeah you know, we don't want to be in their face. We don't, you know, we are, we already know they're not going to go to, they can't go to shows to see them. So but they, I know they still want to know. Right. So we asked that question and 46.3 said percent said social media, 22% hmm. said YouTube, 17% said podcasts, which is awesome. And 14% yeah. print. Right. So, you know, it's right there. That's the answer, right? You have to be in all of those places. Um, and, and you just, you have to do it in the right way, in a serving way, not in a selling way. Yeah. Well, you, you know, as, as is true in anything in life, uh, what, 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 uh, causes pain for others is, is also opportunity for some. So who's going to come out on top uh, when all is said and done here? The most creative, mm. the most creative and the most willing to, to, not just hunker down and close their eyes. Yeah. 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 You've got you got to be creative. You got to let, you know, meet with, you know, for a manufacturer, for the leadership uh, within the manufacturer, they need to meet with the people who have ideas yeah. <laughs> and then actually listen. Um, the other thing is, is that manufacturers need to pay attention to their distributors. Distributors have the closest point of contact with producers right now because, you know, everybody still needs stuff. Right. So they're the closest. They're going to see them. And a manu and, and this is even non-COVID times. I, I find my manufacturers often dismiss or not dismiss, but they don't um, they don't provide the distributor with everything they need. And what a distributor that I learned in managing distributors is that if you have a hard product to sell, they're going to sell something else that's easier. Right. So you have to give your distributor the tools that they need so that they can sell your product and that they can be successful at it because they're not going to pick the highest fruit to sell. They're going to pick, you know, they're going to think about profit. They're going to think about how many they can move. They're going to think about. Right. And so that manufacturer needs to say to the distributor and, and any manufacturers out there, do it tomorrow. Call up your distributor and say, what do you need from us? And it might surprise you, right? And you know they know they know what they need, right? You just got to ask the question. So that's something that I I see is kind of missed, um, but it's all it's really important. Yeah, something else I was going to ask about the uh, about the content side. You, you know, when especially smaller companies are are in the midst of this, they might not have a, a you know a set budget allocated for. Uh, you know, content creation or video projects for, uh, you know, for example, how can they take at least baby steps toward getting some content out there, even if they have to do it on their own, even if they have to do it, you know, w w with a smartphone and uh, basic resources? 
and it's possible. So here it is step-by-step, step. download Canva. Anybody mm -hmm. can use Canva. Anybody can make something look slick on Canva. Take your brochure, cut it up into little bite-sized pieces and start copying and pasting and making some, some images on Canva and put it out on, on social media. That's the first step and do one of those every single day. Yeah. So that should be your goal. Well, as you were saying earlier about the uh, the power of email and social media marketing, I know we've seen that a lot here with the show, just the power of it and 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 watch the numbers grow throughout the pandemic. And as we've talked about a number of times on the show, uh, you've got a captive audience now and uh, you've got their attention. Whereas maybe if you're at a farm show, you know how things get frantic in that small window over a couple of days of a farm show. Now, now you've got people's undivided attention now seems like really the time to put the pedal to the metal and and start building that base. It's going to be with you long after the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. Email marketing, you need to be doing email marketing. Yeah. Right. And so if you think about it from yourself, like how do we want to be treated? And you check your email every single day, you erase the crap, the stuff you don't want to read. You unsubscribe from anything you're not interested in. but you open those emails every day that you are interested in. Yeah. Um, for example, um, Travis Martin from Magnetic Egg, he's come out with an email and I interviewed him in one of our shows and it is incredible. His He's got this twice a week news email and it just takes agriculture in little tiny bite-sized pieces that you can wake up in the morning. It's there when you wake up and you can scroll through and you can have a, right? And, and he's growing and it's snowballing and it's, good content, really good content. And he's just getting more and more and more people signing up. But now when you have somebody's email address, you can have a conversation with them, right? I just did a webinar last week um, come just about email marketing and, and the opportunities there and not, you know, is it right for your company? Because a lot of people, when they think about email marketing, they're like, well, we don't want to spam people. Well, then don't spam them, right? Yeah. Give them something that they can use in their life, whether that's cost calculators, whether that's um, tips for, you know, in agriculture, that's great. Tips throughout the year, um, way, different ways to use equipment, different ways to fix equipment. There, there, it's, you know, you just need some creative people on your team. Yeah. Yeah. If it's useful content, they'll keep coming back. And, uh, you know, you have to bear in mind that the average age of a farmer is 59. So it's still right in that wheelhouse where yes, to, uh, social media is is very important. That's a, it's a huge piece of the puzzle, yeah. but uh, there's still people, uh, like you said, to check that email box, uh, you know, uh, a number of times every day. And, and if there's value to the content, they're going to click on through. And, uh, you know, right now that they've got less to do than maybe they did, uh, uh, you know, a year ago, so that they're apt to do it. So I, I find that part fascinating that that continues to grow and, and I like that you throw in print there too, because I, I think there is still value there. there. There's people that are checking that out as well. And, uh, you know, when you talk about doing an integrated campaign with, with uh, you know, many facets, uh, that, that seems like it's kind of a uh, an overlooked component sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, and it's tough when, you know, the marketing department is talking and trying to figure out where to spend money. But there are guidelines, right? Like you should spend 70% of your budget on things that you know work and you've always done. So that's going to, for most companies, include some print, right? Mm. You're going to do 20% um, that is new to you and 10% yeah. you've never done before. 
And if you can allocate in those ways, so I can't say, yeah, you need to do 10% of Twitter and 20% of this. And But if you do it that way, where you know that 70% of your dollars are being spent in, in ways you know, and then you're slowly branching out, then that's a really good way to, um, to allocate those dollars. And if you have those dollars that uh, have never been spent in a certain area before, send them my way. I, I'd love to talk. Yeah, to you. there we go. <laughs> we, we, we'd love to help you out with it here. So yeah, <laughs> you, you talked earlier about, uh, you know, some of the common questions that uh, you got asked over and over at, at trade shows. What, what were some of those that, that uh, you, you saw coming back to you quite frequently? How can I gain profit? Mm -hmm when I can't raise my price. Yeah. Right. We can't increase margin. So what does that leave you? You have to make it more efficient in what's already there. Right. And technology can do that. Right. You can, if you have the right technology, you can create systems in your company and you really, you, don't even, you can use an Excel sheet for goodness sake. Right. It doesn't have to be, but if you can reorganize your company so that it's more efficient, that's the only way, especially right now, that you you're gonna gain a little bit of margin. So I those were the questions I always was was asked. Yeah, is is how you know how can we make more money? How can we reach more people? How can we right? Yeah. So uh, from an agribusiness standpoint, uh, get get behind your crystal ball for a moment. What what do you see, or how do you see? Uh, the rest of 2021 playing out, or is it is it just too early to even be able to to venture a guess? Well, that's usually the question I ask everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the other side of the mic today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, so I was pretty sad when Louisville was canceled. I yeah. thought this will be the first year I'm at home for Valentine's Day in 10 years at least. So. Um, that was kind of devastating. I think oh, there were a lot of us going, it's going to be normal again because we get to go to Louisville, right? And now we're not. So, um, you know, but, you know, could we slip really quick into using live events as a crutch or do we need to get through this, right? And just keep plowing through and really finish this process of, of how we're doing business a little bit different, but keeping it human. That's really, really important. Um, but you know, I think by the end of 2021, um, we're going to have a smarter companies, yeah. right? We're going to have more efficient companies. And there are so many opportunities. And if they can just uh, embrace those opportunities, it's going to be good. But there's going to be companies with their heads in the sand and, and they're not going to survive. So as we wrap up our time here, what are some of the things that are on the horizon for you and for your podcast? In, in my life, I've been so lucky because I've been able to meet these amazing people across North America, right? I've been able to meet these incredible companies and I've been able to learn their stories and build relationships with them. And so kind of my mission now is to share that with people, yeah. right? There are a lot of people that don't have never heard about manufacturing <laughs> and it's really exciting. And there's really incredible, you know, one of my favorite things on the earth is to do a factory tour, like go yeah. to the Kinsey factory tour or Landa. Oh my goodness. You'll just be blown away. So, you know, I like to tell the stories and and highlight these incredible people who are doing amazing things for our industry, right? You know, and of course, always, you know, just 
be so grateful that we have farmers. Well, before we let you go this week, tell everybody where they can find you online. Yep. So uh, NorthAmericanEgg.com. And uh, in there, there's a lot of resources there where we're, we have Industry Connect, where you can list your company profile for free. Um, there's other paid options as well. Um, we also have The Best of Egg. We're building a podcast library for agriculture, because if you've ever looked for a podcast on any, you know, Apple or any of those, it's hard to find agriculture podcasts. We're also, we have a section for well-being, so mental health and agriculture, and then the future of egg. Because I was one of those kids that wanted to be a farmer, I know what it's like to go, well, how can I work in this industry? But the opportunities are endless. So I really want to um, promote the, the schools, entrepreneurship, all in that section there. And um, and then also over on um, chrissywozniak.com, that's where it's, you know, what I do. Um, it's also chrissy.info because that's a lot easier to spell. And um, yeah, so that's that's where you can find me. And we ought, ought to mention also that uh, Chrissy's going to be contributing some content uh, from time to time to Fast Line Fast Track. So uh, be paying attention to what we've got going on here because we're going to cook up some uh, really cool features here that uh, kind of uh, take the best of what uh, we're doing and the best of what she's doing and, and get it out to as many people as we can. Because you hit on something very important uh, earlier uh, when you started talking about the collaboration in the industry. And I think this is uh, one of the unique industries where I've heard this refrain time and time again. Uh, when we all work together, the whole industry wins. And you don't see that in every industry and you don't hear people beating that drum in every industry, but you hear it a lot in, in agriculture. And uh, I think the more we can all collaborate on, on things, the better off we all wind up in the long run. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Chrissy, thank you so much for taking the time here to uh, uh, to join us here on the show and uh, look forward to working with you here in the, in the future on projects. And again, make sure you go check out the North American Ag Spotlight. Go check out the websites and everything Chrissy's doing. And Chrissy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you so much. Well, some uncertainty in the markets this week on the heels of the recent February WASD report. And Jesse Allen is here to outline it for us in this week's Market Talk update. Jesse. Well, thank you very much as always, Brent. And happy to be back here with another Market Talk report this week on Fastline Fast Track. And, you know, it's been an interesting market trade to say the least here recently after that USDA report. A lot of farmers started to panic a little bit, wondering, was this the top of our markets? What's going to happen? What's going to be the case moving forward? Now, uh, obviously, the USDA Outlook Forum uh, here at the end of this last week, that's going to start to impact our markets as we start to get some ideas of acreage coming in here in the U.S. for this spring. But, you know, with the price levels we've been seeing and uh, some of the rallies we've had, including the one uh, to start the uh, holiday-shortened week on Tuesday, uh, it's definitely an area where farmers need to really consider taking some profits and Matt Bennett with agmarket.net championed that uh, in an episode of market talk earlier this week here is his thoughts and what he had to say his advice to farmers right now there's a lot of experts out there saying you know what this thing is going to fade uh, this market uh, just doesn't have enough fuel for the fire I totally understand uh, after the last seven or eight years that a person would be skeptical uh, you know if prices rallying through the roof but at the same time you know, you're looking at very tight stocks to use ratios, both corn and beans. Uh, you were in a situation uh, with beans where we might run out, you know, and so uh, quite frankly, I think with corn, you're not going to run out. But at the same time, you know, darn good and well that 
most traders are going to say that one five that the USDA threw out is just not accurate, you know, and I, I don't want their job. I do not want the USDA's job, but seeing 240 million bushels of export sales to China in one week, uh, you know, between the January and February report, and then you raise exports in February by 50 million bushels, it, it's an eyebrow raiser. Let's, let's face it, it's, it, it just is. And so mm -hmm. you've got to assume in March, there could be some further trimming. And I, I guess my opinion, I feel pretty strongly that your carryout's closer to 1 billion right now than one five, you know? So there's a fair amount of trimming that we could still do until we see a fair amount of demand rationing we keep getting sales and shipments were pretty decent uh, record. you got to think that uh, you're going to continue to see a chance for these prices to go on up. You know, again, we talk about all this demand rationing and these numbers that USDA is throwing out there for the carryout on both corn and beans. Uh, I'm in the camp that you're in. I, I think this carryout's going to have to go lower. And I'm with you. I do not want USDA's job when it comes to figuring all this out because it's definitely a territory we haven't been in in many, many years. It is. And and so we're all, we're tracking together. And I think a lot of people in the industry are tracking with us. But Jesse, the other thing we is, you know, helping producers and I farm, uh, we as producers have to understand that, you know, whether we're talking about 550 corn or 1385 beans or a new crop, you know, even 450, uh, seven and three quarters and 1180, uh, 1185 and three quarters. You know what? You got to ask yourself, is it smart to be bullish, if you will, at these levels? First of all. Second of all, does it mean you're not still friendly to market potentially due to fundamentals, due to whatever it might be, just because you make a sale? And so as a producer, we have to understand that quantifying our situation when we're at very profitable levels makes a heck of a lot of sense. Keep some flexibility. Uh, but good Lord, you know, after last week, a lot of folks were in panic mode on Friday afternoon uh, because the market didn't close that well. And they thought, oh, gosh, you know, three day weekend, what's going to happen on Tuesday? Very concerned about this. And then you come in here on, on Tuesday and you see up 13 and up 14 and we're gun shy about making sales again. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. We we got to be very cautious as to ignore uh, that this market is a volatile market. It's going to go wherever it wants to go. Yes, my tendency is to believe it'll go higher. But if it doesn't, uh, we're going to be kicking ourselves for not making some sales at profitable levels that we haven't seen in a long time. Well, again, those are comments from Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That was from last Tuesday's episode of Market Talk. And again, you can find Market Talk online uh, via our website, markettalkag.com, all your favorite streaming sources as well, just where, where you can find Fastline, Fast Track. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. And again, as we watch this market here moving forward, we're obviously going to be factoring in some of these USDA Ag Outlook Forum numbers for acreage and continuing to watch South American weather where they've seen a lot of rain in Mato Grosso lately and uh, just some delays with both the harvest and the planting of the safrina crop uh, in South America and Brazil while Argentina remains dry. So that's going to be something we're going to be watching as well moving forward. But again, uh, great advice from Matt Bennett here this last week and all of our experts. You could find out uh, more by listening back to past episodes at markettalkag.com. For Fastline Fast Track this week in Nashville, 
I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, markettalkag.com. And you can find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network. And you can hear him host Your Ag Today weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Rural Radio, Channel 147. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, you know what time it is. It's time for another installment of Bushels and Cents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Hax. Don't forget, you can check out all... All his great multimedia content at farmmachinerydigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. When the diagnostic trouble code is evoked on a piece of farm equipment, such as a combine, most first look to blame or replace the sensor in that circuit. The same logic would be to blame the radio receiver if you do not like the weather forecast. It is important to recognize that a trouble code is showing an issue in that circuit, just like a soil test determines the nutrients available for the plant. The diagnostic routine must be followed to see the parameters that will evoke the code and parts not randomly replaced. Sensors are expensive and often not easy to access. How many bushels in value did that rush to judgment cost you? Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Ray Bohax has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Rural Radio Channel 147. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. I hope you go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where we welcome in a phenomenal traditional country music singer and songwriter who also just happens to be an Ohio farmer and a Fast Line catalog subscriber he has a new album out that we can't wait to tell you all about a bit later on in the show richard lynch welcome in to fast line fast track hey brent thanks for having me what a blast and uh it's it's been exciting to uh, get get to have you back on here uh we had the honor of working with richard to wrap up uh they were the first week of 2020 when we uh met at uh, hank snow's iconic rainbow ranch there in madison tennessee outside of nashville and uh we had just a great time here. You can find that on episode 44 of the Fast Line Fast Track podcast at FastLine.com. And I encourage you to check that out. But, uh, man, how you been since we saw you last? I've been really good. You know, we uh, got a brand new album that we just released. We're uh, excited about that. Um, uh, we got uh, a lot of great reviews on it. Been writing a lot of songs. Looking forward to uh, finally getting back out and performing again. We're going to be doing a, a show with um, the Bellamy Brothers coming up in May and a couple of little things, you know, fairgrounds and festivals and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, that's the big show. We're excited about our new album, that's for sure. And just uh, waiting for, uh, for warm weather to get here. Well, before we wade into our conversation with Richard Lynch, let's hear one from him from his new album, My Guitar Drips Country. This is He'll Make Everything All Right on Fast Line Fast Track. This great country of ours is in a heck of a shape. I know I've never seen it this way. And don't let your heart be troubled. We're going to be all right. We got the right man working for us. So pull out your Bible, blow off the dust. We need to pray to the Lord. He'll make everything all right. These troubled times are in, they ain't nothing new. Look what the greatest generation went through. The Great Depression, 
and worldwide war. No, I'm not making light of the trouble we're in. In fact, we'll pull together like they did back then. We need a few less politicians and more of the Lord. Got a battle to fight Looks like it's our turn to sacrifice Ain't it funny in the blink of an eye How the whole world changed We're still the land of the free And the home of the brave We better make sure we stay that way Let's keep our faith in the Lord Cause God's love never fades This great country of ours Is in a heck of a shape I know I've never seen it this way And don't let your heart be troubled We're gonna be alright We got the right man working for us So pull out your Bible, blow off the dust We need to pray to the Lord You'll make everything alright I know I've never seen it this way And don't let your heart be troubled We're gonna be alright We got the right man working for us So pull out your Bible and hoe off the dust We need to pray to the Lord He'll make everything alright We need to pray to the Lord He'll make everything alright Just to go back a bit, for those who haven't checked out that earlier episode, episode 44, tell us a bit about your raising. Tell us how you got involved in farming and how you got involved in country music. Well, I was born and raised uh, in a country music household. My my dad was an incredible singer and entertainer. We lived back on a 106-acre farm with plenty of chores, animals, farming to do. So, um, you know, the music was pretty much a uh, an outlet for everybody. You know, after after chores was done in the evening, we'd sit around. Dad would play guitar and his kids would sing. And then as I got a little older and I realized that music thing was, you know, pretty, pretty popular for me to be involved in. Um, I got to do a show with my dad when he was about eight years old, when I was about eight years old. And uh, I, I was bit pretty early, I guess you might say, uh, by the country music bug. Just a lot of fun. And. I, I enjoy it so much and meeting wonderful people. And I'm coming to realize that there's a, a huge need for some traditional country music out there. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's why we have this show. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll go back. I, I don't want to scoop myself, but that uh, kind of uh, brings up something that uh, uh, I wanted to pull here uh, that, that we were going to talk about a little bit later on the show, but I'll, I'll bring it up now. Uh, country music people magazine uh, gave your new album a five-star rating, which isn't easy to come by. And uh, the reviewer, Chris Smith, his take on your music is this, and I quote, Richard Lynch has the ability to deliver new country music songs in an old style without them ever sounding tired, dated, or corny. Uh, how do you think you've been able to pull that off or maybe other people have failed? Well, um, I just learned um, to write from the heart. Um, I, I, try to put my emotions in my music, whether it's, you know, a happy topic, 
a sad topic, a real topic. I just want to put real emotions into into what I write about. And that being said, it creates uh, that connection with people. Um, it's almost as though when I hear people tell me they listen to my new song and they say things like, it's almost as though you wrote that song for me. And uh, that tells me I'm keeping it real because they're connecting with the emotion and the, the writing that I'm trying to write about. So that's, and I'm lucky in the sense that I, I have that ability and, and uh, I don't all, maybe I won't always have it, but I got it now. So <laughs> keep, yeah. keep, keep writing and keep entertaining and doing what I like to do. Well, I think it's interesting because <laughs> with uh, when you flip on terrestrial radio today, the mainstream radio and hear a lot of uh, what's out there, a lot of it is very superficial, but I think people are still kind of craving that, uh, that, that human connection that comes to music and, and uh, people being able to uh, spell out their experiences in life in song. Oh, absolutely. You know, being a farm boy, I, I learned at a, at a real young age what responsibility was. And the older I get, you know, my my raising, how I was raised basically is influencing my music and I can't help but do that. And the fact that I was raised around a household that always had traditional country music in on the radio and my dad was always performing it. I think all of that has kind of geared me to where I am today with with my songs, how I was raised and the, and the appreciations and the respects that I have out there. Uh, well, I tell you what, uh, and in the midst of that, uh, you've had a very di distinguished career. Uh, we, we'd be here all day if we, we read all the accolades, especially between uh, 2016 and, and now, but uh, you know, a 2015 inductee into the independent country music hall of fame, a 2017 Josie music award for, Country Entertainer of the Year and a 2019 inductee into the Ohio Country Music Hall of Fame. You're also a member of the Indie Music Hall of Fame. What have those accolades meant to you in your career? Well, you know, I love all the accolades. I love all the, the awards and the um, recognition. But, you know, the best part of all that is that um, I'm, I'm, I get to perform with these wonderful musicians that I, but I've been calling my heroes all my life, people like David Frizzell and Ronnie McDowell and, and Rhonda Vincent and Leona Williams and, and all those wonderful artists that I grew up listening to. And, you know, this, my music has finally put me in a position to where I can, I can call these folks, my friends now. And, uh, you know, that's in my mind, that's quite an accomplishment. People like Jimmy Fortune that's been with the Statler brothers and, yeah. And on and on and on and on. I, I call these wonderful folks my friends. And uh, to me, that's, that's so important because I feel like I'm kind of accepted, if that makes any sense. You released your first full-length album, The Last of a Dying Breed, in 2013 and have been on a real roll since then. You've charted quite a few songs on the independent country charts. In fact, a single that will appear on this new album, Cathead Biscuits, is on the charts and doing quite well. Before we go any further, I want to share this song with our listeners so they can get a taste for it because it really speaks to rural living, to farm living, and what's great about country music and that simple life that we should all take the time to step back. I can appreciate this is Cathead Biscuits on Fast Line Fast Track. Cathead Biscuits, red eye gravy, down home cooking. That's how my mama raised me. Soup, beans, and cornbread, and wild mustard greens. Simple country living, that's what you get with me. 
kids born in a barn And I recall Mama's country words and wisdom that We all knew when she laid down the law Summer, we'd work together, stacking the hay in the barn. And every evening, we'd find Mama fixing our country supper. And she sure cooked with love. Cathead biscuits, red eye gravy, down home cooking. That's how my mama raised me Soup, beans, and cornbread And wild mustard greens Simple country living That's what you get with me Yeah, that's fine with me That's what you get with me And that's just fine with me And as a matter of fact, I haven't eaten dinner yet That sounds pretty good well, you know, it's just a real honest to goodness from the heart uh, song that, uh, you know, I remember all those wonderful things growing up. And, uh, you know, people people said, my mama cooked with lard. I said, absolutely. I go back a day or two. So that's the real deal. <laughs> well, we mentioned the farm a bit earlier. Tell us a bit about your farming operation up there in Waynesville, Ohio. Well, um, we, we got uh, two horses, a donkey, a uh, full-size standard uh, donkey and a pony and two miniature donkeys. We, uh, we grow a lot of hay. I sell an awful lot of hay we, here, here in Southwestern Ohio. Um, the, the hay is the, the biggest cash crop for me. Um, I don't have a huge, huge farm, but you know, I maximize the, the 32 acres we have in the hay field. I maximize the work too. So, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, we love the, the agricultural way of life. We got a beautiful farm here. We got a, a big barn that we bring, um, country music guests, you know, from Grand Ole Opry stars and some, you know, national stars three or four or five times a year to our farm. And we'll get to perform with them guys here in our, at our farm. Um, that's a big music venue here that we built in the barn. And, it's just really gratifying to, to see people come to the farm and they get to enjoy real country music in a country music household in an atmosphere um, where they can feel comfortable. Um, I hear people say things like, well, we love your barn. It's kind of like kind of like the old barn that I, were, I was grazed in or kind of like the old barn that grandpa and grandma had. But they make that connection automatically when they come to the farm. Ultimately, they get to leave. Um, having been entertained with great country music and in a country atmosphere. Uh -huh. Have you started putting together any shows for 21 yet? We are. We have booked um, uh, Memorial Day weekend. We're going to be bringing the Bellamy Brothers to our farm. We're real excited about that. Um, we haven't uh, booked anything um, besides that. Actually, we've had to cancel or reschedule, I should say, the Bellamy Brothers uh, twice now due to the correct Corona stuff. So we're ultimately going to bring them here to the farm, um, May 29th or May 30th, whatever that Saturday is for the Memorial day weekend. So we're real excited about that one. Those guys have been, you know, 
uh, some of my heroes ever since I was a kid. I just love their music and the fact that we get to play with them guys, you know, like I spoke earlier, I get to call these people my friends. So that's that's pretty special. Yeah. And uh, they, they've had a lot of media projects going on lately and, and some new music that they, they've really kind of taken on a, uh, a resurgence here lately. They have. You know, I went to a concert. I got to do a show with those guys back in the 90s um, mm-hmm. up in northern Ohio years ago. And I was just amazed even then how many song after song after song that they kept playing and performing. And then I'm like, oh, I forgot about this one. Oh, I love it. I remember that one. What I'm getting at is they've been in the business for so long and have kept a, such a great uh, repertoire of these wonderful songs. And it's great to hear these songs being played live again because all those memories come back. Well, I tell you, not only are you a farmer, but you're also passionate about barns. You know, you've designed and built them and you've done work to raise funds and awareness for historic barn preservation. Tell us a bit about that. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier about growing up on a farm. When uh, if you're if you're the oldest boy of six kids, which I was. Um, you had to learn quick how to help dad drive a nail and stretch and fence and build things and work on things. And I, I'm, I consider myself lucky to have had that opportunity. Um, you know, I, I knew how to fix barn roofs and repair barns. And, you know, as I got older, ultimately it became a, you know, a business for me building. And, uh, but I, I love the fact that I can restore a, a barn that's a hundred years old or 150 years old and give it another 75 or 100 years of additional life, you know, that will far outlast me. And uh, because a lot of that, a lot of that, you know, barn building and so forth is a, is a lost art. The hand hewed yeah. beams and some of those beautiful barns that's unfortunately a lot of them are disappearing. But, I, you know, I've, I'm fortunate that I can I can say that I've helped save quite a few of them. And it all becomes it all. Be, it's all because I was raised on a farm and had the, ne- the necessity to. Um, to, to work on the old barns as a kid. So I'm, I'm fortunate that I was raised that way. Ultimately, it gave me another occupation along with the farming and the music and whatever else my wife wants me to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you both stay busy. You know, if all this isn't enough, uh, your wife also is a uh, Liberty Tax Service uh, franchisee there in Lebanon, Ohio, and in the midst of a very busy season as well. Yeah, absolutely. She works really hard. I mean, and, and if she's not working in the tax business, she's driving a tractor, bailing hay with me. We're on the road playing music. Um, I haven't been able to get her up on a ladder building many barns, but I'm still working on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> if you're within an earshot of Lebanon, Ohio, go go give Liberty Tax Service a call there and uh, get, get your taxes done. Uh, April 15th is sneaking up Absolutely. on us. What, what's the balance look like for you? And I was wondering uh, about anybody who, who gets into any type of farming and also does music. Uh, how do you strike that balance? Well, I'm, I'm lucky. I got a, I got a, some good friends that will step up and take care of the livestock. You know, if you've got animals and farm um, chores and you're involved in music, you know, you're shuffling a schedule. And I, I got some really good folks that really step up good for me. If we've got to be gone for a while, they'll take care of the animals. Um, I haven't got too many friends that want to help me build the hay. I haven't got that good of friends just yet. So I really got, I really got to coordinate that part of it. So, Well, how about we hear one more from Richard Lynch from his new album, My Guitar Drips Country. This is Rodeo Town on Fast Line, Fast Track. I heard her say down in Santa Fe, why don't you stay for a while? 
Cause it's cold out, the snow is coming down Maybe we could start us a fire I remember now her enchanted smile And I want you to look in her eye She was a mystery and she was made for me On that late December night You talked earlier about uh, uh, doing uh, music and and getting the opportunity to work with some of uh, so many uh, uh, notable people who who uh, have become friends. You recently did a taping down in Fort Worth of the Penny Gilly Show for RFD TV. Uh, have you heard when that's going to air yet? Uh, sometime in April, uh, they're going to be airing that episode. Um, she is a class act. Penny and her husband Mike. They're we had them up at our farm here back in October and they, we brought them up here to Ohio and uh, they, she put on a wonderful show and uh, was fortunate to go down and uh, to do her television show with her um, at, at the April 19th or something to that effect. Some weekend in April, I do believe is when we'll be on that, on that show, but just a lot of fun. My, my boss lady, Miss Donna told me it's April 16th. So there you go. Mark your calendars for that. Keep, keep, keep an eye on that schedule on RFD TV. Thank you, Miss Donna. Uh, she always does a great <clears> job. <throat> He's got some great guests. And also uh, a guy we'll talk about in a little bit here who, who was a part of those tapings as well as uh, our buddy Scott Southworth. 
Yeah, me and Scott, uh, we just um, um, co-wrote a song that ultimately made it on my new album. Uh, and it's an ironic t t uh, title called Hurtin', Cheatin', Lyin', Country Song. That's what the world needs more of. And so we got that wrote and recorded. And it's getting a lot of uh, of attention. And I understand there's some, uh, they got a dance move that they're, that they're dancing to this particular song already. So I'm pretty excited okay. about that one. Uh, when I read that title, that just sounded like a Scott Southworth uh, inspired title right there. You just, uh, uh, he's always going for, for that ironic kind of twist. Well, how about we throw this one in here from the pen of Richard Lynch and Scott Southworth. This is Hurtin' Sheetin' Lion Country Song on Fast Line Fast Track. I'd like to hear a song being sung today. Talks about heartache and pain. Someone who lived through every line and meant every word he sang. A guy who hurt so bad over his lost flame. When you hear him, he just wants to cry. He lost his heart to her when she walked out. That old boy wanted to die. I want to hear a song that does somebody wrong. You can feel the misery. I gotta know it ain't just me Who needs a hurting, cheating, lying country song With some real emotion I can sing along Would it really be a sin To make country music sad again Give me a hurt Who needs a hurting, cheating, lying country song with some real emotion I can sing along? To make country music sad again Give me a hurt, cheating, lying country song
Well, as we've talked about a bit here, one of the things I know you like doing is creating music with your friends. And over the years, you've had the chance to perform with the likes of Ronnie McDowell, Leona Williams, and the newest member of the Grand Ole Opry, Rhonda Vincent. What was it like working with the Queen of Bluegrass? Well, I've always loved her music. Um, you know, she, and I knew she was an incredible singer. I knew she was an incredible talent. But she's as good a person as she is a talent. That's what made me made me really realize how how really and wholesome and what a great person she really is. She's genuine. What you see on the stage, that's not an act. She is the real deal. And I, I got nothing but great things to say about Rhonda Vincent. And the fact that we got to record and have our, uh, you know, a duet out there being played all over the place, that's pretty gratifying. You know, she's one of my heroes. Well, let's hear that one from Richard Lynch and Rhonda Vincent. This is Back in Love Again on Fast Line, Fast Track. my heart again You were so kind at a time when I needed a friend Somewhere the friendship ended and love began You're the reason I'm back in love again You turned out the charm, twisted my the girl from a world I've been dreaming of Baby, there's something you gotta understand You're the reason I'm back in love again Back in love again Saying things I never thought I'd say Yeah, the reason I'm 
And that was Richard Lynch with the newest member of the Grand Ole Opry, Rhonda Vincent, with Back in Love Again. You can find that on Richard's 2017 album, Mending Fences. And Richard, one of the things I was curious about in your Rodeo Town song, you mentioned getting back to Ohio. How does a guy trying to use Ohio as his home base for a country music career make the right connections in Nashville and elsewhere to be successful in the business? Well, I don't know that location really matters, but I do know dedication and perseverance and taking no for an answer. I never did take no for an answer. We always just do what we love to do. We um, yeah, um, we surround ourselves with people that um, believe in us and support us. And, um, you know, it's amazing what uh, my wife, Miss Donna, she has accomplished so much um, in you know, getting us where we at with the music business. But ultimately, it goes it goes back to where we started from earlier. We spoke earlier. It people really want to hear real good country music, and uh, they want to hear something new. But they want that flavor, that traditional flavor, that steel guitar, that emotion in their music. And yeah. um, I've, I've been giving it, you know, pouring my heart out, and uh, I, I think it's starting to finally pay off for us a little bit. You know. Uh huh. Well, I, I tell you, just kind of keeping an eye on things are, high, are going down there, Texas way too, which is really uh, just clings to a lot of this music. Uh, it, it's doing really well on the Texas charts, and uh, again, uh, do, doing the Penny Gilly bit. Uh, uh, if you can crack into that scene, you know you're doing something right. Well, we've been going down for uh, seven years, um, playing the uh, Rio Grande Valley and uh, different parts of Texas. You know, uh, we've, we've we've worked Austin and and Fort Worth and a couple other places down there in, in Texas. You got to do a radio tour a couple summers ago. And you want you want to talk about a big state. Now you do a radio tour in Texas, you are burning up some miles on that old truck. I guarantee you that. <laughs> so yeah, we we have met a lot of wonderful folks in Texas. And uh, you know, they, they treat us really well. There's some great musicians down there that uh, treat an old farm boy from Ohio you know, like, like they're one of their own. So that that's pretty nice of them down there. Well, in addition to the musical pursuits, anytime anyone comes on the show and they have a tie to veterans' causes, we definitely want to highlight that. And Richard, you're the founder of the Love Tattoo Foundation, which honors and assists veterans. Tell us the impetus for founding that organization and help us better understand its mission. Well, um, I, I never personally served in the military, but I've always had a huge respect. My, my grandpa, my dad, my brother, they all served. And I see how important it is to show respect for these guys and gals that come back. I mean, they they've they've sacrificed so much and they ask for nothing. Uh, and I, I realize there's a need to, to let them people know that they are genuinely cared about. Um, so me and my wife, we started a foundation, the Love Tattoo Foundation, and it's the raise awareness of a facility in uh, Michigan called the Wilwyn Lodge. And what this facility does is welcomes all veterans from World War II to today's conflicts um, with open arms and a place for them to get some recreation, a place for them to go and, and you know get their mind off of life. And uh, it's a 1200 acre facility with a 60 acre lake. And it's just a little something that we get to do uh, to help bring awareness to these folks because, and, and it's a sad topic, but I, I know there's a lot of suicide in veterans. And uh, if we will make awareness that there's a place for these folks to get away and uh, that exists out there that maybe we can do our part to help some of these folks 
and there's psychologists, there's doctors, there's a lot of people up there that would love, love to talk to these folks. And as far as I'm concerned, we can't do enough to help them. So just our little way of giving back. Well, that's excellent. And uh, you've gotten some recognition for that. Not that you're doing it for the recognition, but 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 it's neat that that, uh, that uh, further raises awareness uh, for, for what you guys are, are doing uh, on that front. Uh, you know, 2020 was such an unusual year. 2021 has kind of started out a little bit the, the same. Uh, how have you used that downtime when you would have been touring or, or, or doing some of these other things to kind of get this new album in order and uh, j- just do things that are going to further your career on the other side of the pandemic? Well, um, I've had an awful lot of song inspirations come to me. Um, I, in, you know, in the wintertime, we don't have a whole lot to do here on a farm. We just take care of the animals. Um, you know, just a few chores that, that has to get done. So I've had some time to where I can grab my guitar and uh, I, I got these songs that keep coming my way. And I've since the new album has uh, been recorded, I have since wrote eight more new songs. And I don't know where they're coming from, but I'm thankful that they're coming. And I think I think just having a little, a little freedom and have a little confidence in yourself you know it takes a little bit of confidence no how longer no matter how long you've been doing it you know you got to realize that you know you can do this and people do want to hear your music and so that's giving me some incentive to keep writing and um, you know just keep sharing my music put the passion in it and i've been lucky to, that i can get these songs wrote and i, I got a, a, a musician friend a couple of musician friends in the band uh, tony williams i mentioned earlier piano player we co-write from time to time tim bennington our guitar player, we co-write from time to time. So we can kind of play off each other with inspiration. And uh, ultimately, it comes up to a, a really good song. Well, as we mentioned earlier, the new album is out. My Guitar Drips Country, 12 tracks on there and not a bad one in the bunch. And one of those songs is a tribute to the late country music superstar, Doug Supernaw, who we lost last November. Tell us about that song. Well, you know, Doug was a huge country star in the early 90s with lots of success worldwide. Had several number one hits, and I, I got to do a show with him back then. And uh, that's where I met him, you know, initially. We were we were, we were friends. I mean, we just kind of grazed off each other, but, and life goes by, and then 20 years goes by, and we got to see each other again, and we were doing another couple of shows. Um and it was good to reconnect. And um, we were playing this and playing that. And we were he, he was actually in the same recording studio that I was on a previous album. And so we had another opportunity to be around each other again. So our, our friendship was genuine. And we were going to do a, a country music cruise. And I had asked Doug, me and my wife Donna, asked Doug and his wife Sissy if they would, they would join us on the cruise to perform and do a show with us there on the cruise, which he agreed to do. And two weeks before the, um, the cruise was to happen, he was diagnosed with cancer mm. and he didn't get to go and do the show. Well, you know, I was devastated and he was devastated, but we talked and I'm, you know, we got to see each other from time to time. I'd be in Texas and I would stop by and see him. Well, I found out that, uh, there was another gentleman down in Texas that wanted to record one of Doug Supernall's songs called Reno, but he wanted to do a little more rock and roll style. And he asked Doug 
for permission if he would mind that he could record one of Doug's songs called Reno. And Doug ultimately said, well, sure, but son, my guitar drips country. And when my wife read that article to me that was on the Facebook uh, uh, post, I, I just got this overwhelming um, in emotion come over me. So I just came, came in the house, I grabbed my guitar, and I wrote the song Supernal. And it starts off saying just that, my guitar drips country. And it, it talks about all the, all the things that he accomplished in life. And it also mentions things like, you know, we never, we don't, none of us get promised tomorrow. And, and, and Doug's a prime example of that. Doesn't matter who you are or, or, you know, how successful you are in life. We need to make sure that we are appreciative of the fact that we have every day. And so the song was written and um, ultimately I was asked to go down and do a benefit uh, and raise some money for the family. But, but the point is, it's, it's out of genuineness and I fact how much I really enjoyed being around Doug and just a genuine respect for the man. So aside from putting this album out in the midst of a pandemic, is there anything that was different about doing this album compared with other albums you've done? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when we're in the studio, um, we're, I'm, we're talking with the producer and, and uh, via, via, you know, computer, and I'm like, Man, this is weird. <laughs> so it was some different things, and we were all social distance. And normally, I get to be around the musicians and and cut up and have fun. But we, you know, understandably so, we all had to keep our distance. And uh, but ultimately, the the musicians absolutely, uh, you know, played their tails off, and um, they stepped it up. But it, I just didn't have that personal connection to what I was really used to over the last several CDs that I've recorded. But, you know, we, we, we got through it. We, we were very proud of the music, but if that was the difference, you know, just that real personal chummy feeling that we didn't, uh, didn't have this time. And uh, I tell you what, I know this is a loaded question uh, because I don't see a crystal ball there in front of you, but uh, any kind of sense for what uh, the rest of 2021 is, is shaping up uh, to look like for you? We, we are starting to book pretty well. We got a couple of theaters in Tennessee. We're going to do, um, we're going to do some uh, county fairs around a dry state area. Um, I understand that we're going to be going to South Carolina and doing a show. So we're not, we're not setting the world on fire. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, I guess you might say. We've got some, we've got some dates that's going to start materializing. So we're, we're excited about that. Well, before we get out of here this week, how about we hear one more from Richard Lynch? We talked about this song earlier. This is the tribute to the late, great Doug Supernaw. This is simply titled Supernaw on Fast Line, Fast Track. My guitar drips country. I wish that line was mine. It came from a conversation A country legend left behind We've all heard songs about our heroes How they've all stood proud and tall Yes, I like Merle and I like George And a guy named Supernova Texas guy who loves country music 
He sang his songs from the heart Kept his fans in the palm of his hands He mentioned a place called Reno Where Lady Luck dealt him a bad hand But he found his way back to Texas Between the red and the Rio Grande His country shows would draw thousands His career was flying high But life can change in an instant With no explanation or reason why No one gets promised tomorrow And we don't know what hand we'll draw well, you made us proud when you sang loud Thanks for the music, Supernova A Texas guy who loves country music He sang his songs from the heart Kept his fans in the palm of his hands he mentioned a place called Reno Where Lady Luck dealt him a bad hand But he found his way back to Texas Between the Red and the Rio Grande I'm glad he found his way back to Texas between the red and the real red. Amen. God, God bless Doug Supernaw, man. Great song. I tell you, Richard, if folks want to keep up with your career, download your music and do all that good stuff, where can they go to check you out? Um, the best way to find anything about me is go to richardlynchband.com. You can see the dates were posted on our, our merchandise, our, our albums, our new CD. Um, but go to richardlynchband.com and you'll learn everything you want to know about me, probably more than you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, thank you so much, Richard, for taking the time to join us tonight on Fast Line Fast Track. I wish you the best of success with the new album and uh, I want to invite you to come back anytime you want to. You're always welcome here. Well, Brett, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you and to all your fans. Thank you for uh, letting me be a part of your show. And God bless you. We'll catch you out there on the road somewhere. I know we will. And we want to thank you for joining us this week. And we want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. And are you in the market for snow removal equipment? 
perhaps a new tractor or planter? If so, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com. <laughs>